Rise and shine, you Syracuse superfans. It's time to pour yourself a tall, delicious glass of orange fizz. Syracuse recruiting news, insider information, latest SU buzz. The Syracuse blogosphere comes to life on the central New York airwaves. It's Fizz Radio. What a year it's been in 2017 for Syracuse sports. For better or for worse, it's coming to an end tomorrow. And you're listening right now to Fizz Radio on the score 1260. We're going to get to all of our favorite moments from the 2017 SU football and basketball season. We're going to talk about the good, the bad. That's all coming up later on in the show. We'll preview Syracuse and Virginia Tech. That's getting set to take place tomorrow. SU opening up that conference play. ACC going to be an absolute gauntlet. We'll also wrap up how we always do a little fizz feedback, get your thoughts, your favorite moments, all that and more. That's coming up later on in the show. As always, you can follow us on Facebook, Twitter, SoundCloud, iTunes. You can get everything, all the content you want by searching Orange Fizz. Also, you can get all of our great web content at orangefizz.net. Plenty of awesome stuff there as well, so that'll keep you all informed for what happened in 2017 and moving forward into 2018 here on Fizz Radio and orangefizz.net. And you can get all the latest audio content on our SoundCloud and iTunes, so be sure to check all of that out. All right, so Syracuse wraps up its non-conference play against Eastern Michigan. It's a, it was a weird win, 62-47 the final against the Eagles. You knew this was going to be a weird game coming in. Rob Murphy returning on the other sideline for EMU. He plays the 2-3 zone out there. Again, the longtime assistant under Jim Beheim for from 2004 to 2011. He's coached some of the best guys that have come up through Syracuse in recent memory. So he knows what he has to do. He's been a part of that system. And it really showed in the first half, again, an ugly one. It looked like it was going to be the first team to 50 would win this game. And Syracuse, ugh, that was an ugly first half. I mean, if, if there's anything we learned from this non-conference slate, it's that you're going to need to score points, and that's not that's a lot easier said than done. So Syracuse, again, the box score, not pretty in this one, especially in that first half. You're shooting around 20% from the field. That number's going to need to improve drastically in ACC play. We'll, we'll get to that in a little bit, but overall... When you look at that game, Tyus Battle came alive. And that second half, you really saw that come alive. We know what Tyus Battle can be. There was a stretch. He didn't hit a single three in that first half. 0 for 6 or 0 for 4. I can't remember the exact number. But he is going to need to hit that outside shot because we've seen at times these teams that they want to almost dare him to shoot. And we Syracuse needs a Tyus Battle game pretty much every game in this ACC con in, in the ACC play because without Tyus Battle this team is it crumbles and and we saw it against St. Bonaventure when Battle struggled mightily and, and I mean St. Bonaventure you look at what happened in that second half that's a game that Syracuse definitely should have won the way that they played in that second half was far superior to St. Bonaventure and you need to win that game and you almost won it and Tyus Battle essentially was not out there on the floor for you. And you can't really can't count Pascal Chukwu as an offensive player. So you're playing three-on-five basketball on the floor. That can't happen in ACC play. You're going to need Tyus Battle every single game. Again, this EMU game, it, you knew it was going to be a weird one coming in. 
and that's kind of the way it's shaped out. But overall, an 11 and two finish in the in the non-conference slate. And one more thing, one one last little thought on on the Eastern Michigan win. Pascal Chukwu played an excellent game in this one. No Barama Sadibe. He's still working on that that knee and the ankle, and that's going to be a very interesting situation to monitor. I'm going to take a little more in-depth look in Fizz feedback, but we heard Jim Beheim say after the game, it's possible that we see Barama Sidibe put a medical redshirt in for this year, and basically you shut him down for the rest of the season, and you kind of hope you're playing enough games to hold under that 30%, so he does get that extra year granted to him. Otherwise, you're just burning a year off of his college career, but I mean, this is a guy that you need to be healthy. He is going to be one of your most prized possessions moving forward, especially at that big man spot. We saw it early on in the season, what this guy can be. He's a great shot blocker. Of course, he's very raw as well, so he's going to develop even more. And honestly, that that, that low post game has shown flashes too. Barama Sidibe can be a great player down low, and, and I think that that's going to be something that you're going to see develop over these next couple of years because he's going to be one of the most important pieces for next season in that front court. So Barama Sidibe, you need, he needs to get healthy, but Pascal Chukwu did a great job. A career-high 15 points, also stuffed the, the stat sheet and rebounds and blocks. But more importantly, Syracuse only seven fouls in this game, and I think that's going to be one of the most important things moving forward, especially if we're looking at a seven-man rotation down the stretch and into ACC play, you cannot get in foul trouble. And Pascal Chukwu, only three fouls against the Eagles. So that is huge, and that's going to need to continue moving forward for Syracuse. This is Fizz Radio on the score 1260, Tyler Aki. And we've got you covered here until 10 o'clock on this Saturday morning. And Syracuse, um, you look at what they've done in the non-conference. 11-2, and two, you really can't ask for much more. You thought coming into this season... You were probably going to drop three, four games in that non-conference play because, let's be honest, at the beginning of the year, the expectations for Syracuse basketball were so low. And to come out 11-2, and two, you probably didn't think you'd get the Maryland game. Even though it was at home, you, Maryland you thought would be a little bit better. They haven't done as well, but still a good team. You figure they probably drop, drop one of the UConn or Georgetown games just because those weren't home games. Georgetown, a, a true road game in UConn. It, it, it's at Madison Square Garden, obviously a little closer to UConn than to Syracuse. But, I mean, that that's one of those old Big East showcase-type games, so anything can happen in that. And, and then Oakland's a scrappy team. Buffalo's a scrappy team. You played a lot of MAC teams as well, three to be exact. You go 3-0 and against them. That That's big. You, you dominated a conference that wasn't your own, and yes, you're going to need to prove it moving forward into ACC play as well, but the MAC has some quality teams, and you played three very good ones. Buffalo, one of the best. They're predicted to win their division in the MAC, and then Eastern Michigan is the highest-scoring team in the MAC in the entire conference, and you held them to 47 points. That's unbelievable. And then your only losses are to number two Kansas, which coming into the season, every single person thought that's going to be a loss, and it was. And honestly, you played a little closer than you would have expected that game to be to a number two team in the nation at the time. Granted, Kansas has dropped off a little bit, but still a very good team. And then St. Bonaventure, that's a game you, you wish you could have back. 
a game that Syracuse certainly could have won in regulation, in overtime. It looked like even if Syracuse got that game into overtime, they were going to take it right away. And St. Bonaventure's only points in in the extra five minutes came at the free throw line. So that's really shoddy and shady. And and you get that that weird call against O'Shea Brissett on the charge. Jim Beheim's livid. So a game that certainly Syracuse wishes it could have had back because in the end, none of the losses that Syracuse had is going to hurt their tournament resume. You can't knock a team for losing to Kansas. And quite frankly, St. Bonaventure is going to be a tournament team too. They've got an at-large resume at this point out of the Atlantic 10. You, you don't see that out of some of these lower conference tiers. So I, I think that St. Bonav- Bonaventure game It was one that's certainly going to help, and you wish you could have had it, but it's not going to hurt you in the long term. So not the end of the world that you lose to the Bonnies, but one certainly that would have given your resume a nice little boost come March. And if you finish 12-1 in the non-conference play, you you can afford to drop a game or two on the road maybe in ACC play because this ACC schedule is going to be super, super tough. I mean, uh, we'll, we'll get to the ACC preview in our next segment, but... I mean, that, that's a tough one. But basically, here's what my takeaways are from this non-conference slate. The defense was unbelievable. I, I mean, you can't say enough about what, and how, really how quickly this zone defense meshed. I was really surprised. You remember last year, all the new faces coming in, and, and that defense was brutal out of the gate. Andrew White did not know what he was doing out there. John Gillen, not your prototypical player for that zone. Even guys like Tyus Battle weren't fully aware. There were a lot of hiccups in the early going. No one really knew their roles, and it was just a mess. And and you get Jim Beheim's worst non-conference performance of all time. This year, SU gets one of its best, the best since 2013. So uh, a big improvement that way. But just looking at this defense, I crunched the numbers. First of all, Syracuse held every single opponent it played under its scoring average. So that's incredible to start. But let's just kind of look through some of the notable ones. You hold Eastern Michigan just the other day, 31 points below its scoring scoring average. They're the top scoring team in a conference. That's the MAC conference, which I, I just touched on a little bit ago. That's impressive. You, you hold Oakland, one of the best teams in the Horizon League, 30 points under its average. That's another that that I think was Syracuse's best game that it put together because Oakland's no slouch. They're a team that could easily be in the tournament this season, and you absolutely dominated that game. I thought that was Syracuse's best performance of the year, bar none. Maryland, you held eight under. I think maybe one of the most, another one of the most impressive ones that you held under, Kansas, by 11 points. That was a team that, at the time, was averaging over 90 points per game, and you held them to 76. Now they're at, uh, they're at 87 and a half, I want to say it is. So you held them 11 under. There, So that's impressive, too. I mean, the defense was unbelievable. And yes, you can say the pace of play, but it it really... Syracuse was really good defensively. You got steals. You got Pascal Chuku blocking shots and creating outlet passes that turns into offense. And that entire second half of Eastern Michigan came as a result of turning defense into offense. And that's going to need to continue into ACC play because... This offense can't score, and that's my next point. The offense was brutal. Brutal. I mean, you just saw the worst cold stretches. It it was borderline unwatchable at times. That Georgetown game, 
borderline unwatchable. Eastern Michigan, borderline unwatchable. There were some bad offensive performances when you go down the line. There were very few games you can point to and say, I enjoyed watching Syracuse execute on offense. Because against Eastern Michigan, you pretty much had to run through Pascal Chuku because no one could hit a shot from the outside. And Chuku's missing bunnies at the rim. He, he's not going up strong for dunks. You needed that, and, and it wasn't coming. And ultimately, you really doomed yourself. So another thing that I want to point out from this non-conference slate, obviously the offense runs through Tyus Battle, but you've got a budding star in O'Shea Brissett. And I'm going to say this, and, and this is a comp that I don't think has been thrown out there yet. O'Shea Brissett so far reminds me of the early stages of Jimmy Butler's development with the Bulls. And from watching a lot of Jimmy Butler, I'm a Bulls fan, I, I've watched a lot of Jimmy Butler during his early years, ever since he was at Marquette. Uh, I caught some of the back end of that time, but you look at how they're built and how they kind of function offensively and defensively. They're both long. They both like to get up on you on defense. They can get steals. They can block shots. They can attack the rim. And even the mannerisms in, in which they go. I, I was talking with, with Drew Carter of the Fizz, and, I, and he's a Timberwolves fan, so this is a perfect thing that I kind of bounced off of him. And I was like, watch, watch O'Shea Brissett. He is a splitting image of Jimmy Butler. And... The way that they play their game. And, and there's one thing in particular that they do that's very similar. It's A, the shot form is very similar. And O'Shea Brissett, just like Jimmy Butler, really struggled to shoot out of the gate. And, and he just kind of has adapted and picked up a jump shot that's become more and more consistent. And I think we'll see come conference play, especially once O'Shea Brissett gets out of the dome because he seemed to have better shooting percentages in NBA-style arenas where you don't have the dome shooting in the background. But I think that O'Shea Brissett's going to be a much better shooter in that. But O'Shea Brissett's going to develop that jump shot. But there's that pump fake and then up and under move that both Jimmy Butler and O'Shea Brissett have kind of developed that are exactly the same. You could line them up side by side. And I think I'm going to try to do that later on in the week when I've got some time. And just watch how similar they are. Because the way that they both go about it it's unbelievable. It's uncanny how similar it is. So that, that I think, is very promising. And, hey, we could see it. O'Shea Brissett could be right around where Jimmy Butler was picked in that back end of the draft, too. Except the difference, Jimmy Butler was not one and done. I think O'Shea Brissett, there's a very real possibility he could be. And then my last thing, I think this non-conference, quite honestly, presented more questions than answers. Which is weird to think, because usually this non-conference schedule kind of, it answers a lot of things, and then you go into the conference get slate knowing who you are. I don't know if Syracuse, I mean, yes, Syracuse knows it's a defensive team, but I think personality-wise, we have more questions now. You look at, I think it all starts with Frank Howard. Who is Frank Howard? It looked like out of the gate, yes, we've got good Frank, this is the, exact type of guy you need and he's going to be one of the best point guards in the ACC but now he's turning the ball over at an alarming rate and we'll hit on that later on in the show but there's other things is Barama Sidibe going to medically redshirt is he are we going to see him on the floor again in 2017-2018 is 
Marek Dolajai or is Matthew Moyer going to start for Syracuse? Who knows? Those are the big questions because, yes, it, it looks like Moyer's going to start, and I think I, I'm going to give you my Moyer takes later on in the show, but that that's a debate, and that's a big internal one that I think a lot of Syracuse fans are fighting with themselves about. So we'll have to see from there. You're listening to Fizz Radio on the score 1260 coming up. We'll preview Syracuse and Virginia Tech, the ACC opener, and we'll also take a look ahead at what we're watching for for this ACC slate for Syracuse. That's all coming up. You're listening to Fizz Radio on the score 1260. It's Fizz Radio here on the score 1260. Tyler Aki with you. Twitter, Facebook, SoundCloud, iTunes, you know where to find us, Orange Fizz, and as always on the wonderful website, orangefizz.net for all of our written content, audio content, and plenty more. Be sure to check us out on all of those platforms. We just finished talking about Syracuse's non-conference slate. Again, 11-2 and the finish. Insert the Borat meme. Great success. you got to be happy with what Syracuse did in that non-conference slate because when you initially saw that schedule, you're looking and thinking, man, three, four wins. You end with two. It's Kansas. It's St. Bonaventure. Those were your two toughest games, and you, you, you played well in both of them, both of them. Uh, maybe not the Kansas one as much, but in the first half, you looked like you had a chance to compete. And then St. Bonaventure, you clearly had a chance to win. And really, you should have won, but you let it get away. But that's okay. You took care of business against Maryland, UConn, Georgetown. Those are all going to look really good. Maybe not really good, but they're going to look good moving forward. And those are the types of wins that Syracuse needs. Now, Syracuse takes on Virginia Tech tomorrow to kick off ACC play on New Year's Eve. And this is a Hokies team that I think is going to present a lot, a lot of challenges for SU. Look at at what you're facing. This is a team that is fourth in the nation in scoring at 92.6 points per game. Fourth in the nation. And that's not even the best in the ACC because Duke takes the cake in that. Duke's number one in the conference in scoring. So that's just a look at the road ahead. And we'll get to that in just a few minutes. But... Syracuse is going to need to show that defensive capability. I brought it up in the last segment, and if you missed that, you can check out our SoundCloud page. We've got this full Fizz Radio episode up, and you look at how Syracuse defended and in the non-conference play. You held teams well under their averages. Every single team went under, and that just shows how good Syracuse's defense was in that non-conference play. Every single team went under. I think the most comparable offense that you can pin Virginia Tech to that Syracuse has faced so far is Kansas. Kansas was averaging over 90 points per game when SU played them. They hold them to 76. And and Syracuse is going to need a a 76 or less game if it wants to beat Virginia Tech. I know Virginia Tech is coming on the road, so that's a challenge right there. But you're going to need to show up offensively because the defense can only take you so far. The defense is going to be... What keeps you in games, the offense is going to be the one that gets you over the hump, wins games for you. You you need that offense. And that kind of leads me to what I'm watching for out of Syracuse in this non-conference play. Tyus Battle needs to be good every single game. He, He can't take games off, which is a shame because you look at the minutes distribution so far. In the ACC, keep in mind, Syracuse... With Barama Sidibe's injuries, is rolling with seven guys at this point. And that includes Howard Washington, who pretty much is 
the last guy on the bench. He's an 11th man on a seven man on a seven man roster at this point. And it, it looks bad, but numbers one, two, and three in the ACC in minutes so far this season, Tyus Battle, O'Shea Brissett, Frank Howard. Got, these guys are getting run into the ground against uh, the non-conference slate. And now you got to continue that and somehow quasi-rest these guys against ACC opponents. That, that can't happen with seven, with seven guys in your rotation, essentially six. You've got a, a bench of all freshmen and, and a lot of inexperience on a team. And you're going to have to keep that train rolling now against the, the beefiest portion of your schedule. I mean, you look in February, there's a stretch you play. Duke, you play. UNC, you play Miami. All in a row. That is, that's the toughest three-game stretch any team in the, in the country is going to have to face. I mean, that, that's unbelievable. You, you look at what Lonnie Walker is doing out there at, at Miami. UNC is UNC. They've been dominant against Syracuse ever since SU joined the ACC. And yes, Syracuse has had Duke's number over these past couple of years, and really it's it, it's leading Duke ever since it joined the ACC. But, I mean, this Duke team is a different beast. Marvin Bagley is the most talented player that Duke has had that Syracuse is going to face. Marvin Bagley is a different animal. When do you see freshmen come in and get National Player of the Year looks and ACC Player of the Year looks as freshmen. That's how good this guy is. And he's showing it so far. He's seemingly near the top of every single important statistical category that you would want out of a guy like Bagley. I mean, he's going to be a different beast. But here's what I'm looking for. There are five big things that I want to look for towards Syracuse basketball. And it starts with Tyus Battle. Can he keep this rolling in the conference play? I mean, he's looked good. Third in the ACC in scoring. When I looked at, at the beginning of the year, I thought, I don't know if Tyus Battle is going to be a top five scorer in the ACC because I think Frank Howard's going to grow a little bit. I thought Geno Thorpe was going to take away a little bit. But Frank Howard has still been shoddy offensively. And Geno Thorpe's gone. And Tyus Battle may... I think there's a good chance Tyus Battle sits out for a grand total of less than 20 minutes throughout the entire conference slate. We've seen Jim Beheim rock with, with guys playing 40 minutes a night for a long time now. And Tyus Battle, he looks dependable, but this is a team that's still a little banged up. Who knows if that back is 100% yet. Uh, there, there's still a lot to go there, Barama Sidibe dinged up. I'll get to that in a little bit. O'Shea Brissett's got ice on his knees every game. I mean, everyone is dinged up in this on this team. Everybody. And now you're going to expect guys to play 40 minutes a night. It's going to be tough. And Tyus Battle's going to need to be that guy every single night in conference. And, and it's not a knock against him, but I don't know if he can be. And it's not the talent. Because talent-wise... He's amongst the best in the ACC. He's even starting to get some love in potential ACC Player of the Year as a candidate. I, I, I was reading an article on The Athletic, great great journalism site, awesome college basketball content headed by Seth Davis. Go check that out. Subscribe if you aren't already. But you, you look at what they do, and 
what Syracuse, I mean, they need Tyus Battle every single night. There's no ifs, ands, or buts. And the fact that he's getting some recognition now amongst the likes of a guy like Bagley, who I've mentioned, Bonzi Colson over at Notre Dame. I mean, those are three of the best players in the ACC right now. And if Syracuse works its way into a top six finish in the ACC, I think you have to give it to Tyus Battle as the ACC player of the year. I, I Because if Syracuse is a top six team in the ACC, it's going to 100% be because of Battle. And also, the way that he outperformed everyone's expectations of for the Syracuse team that was picked to finish 10th. If you're finishing in the top six, that means you're leapfrogging not just four teams, you're leapfrogging four very good teams. I mean, this is an ACC conference that could have 10, 11 bids in the NCAA tournament this year. The ACC is looking as strong as ever. And I think that would be a real testament to what Battle's done. You're listening to Fizz Radio here on the Score 1260. And now I want to kind of look at the next thing. Frank Howard. What is he? What What is Frank Howard going to be for the rest of this season? He leads the ACC in turnovers by eight. Eight total. And you look at the top of a lot of these statistical categories. It's You're usually, this early in the season, you're separated by three to five, maybe less. No, Frank Howard is eight turnovers ahead of the pack right now. And that needs to end because it looked like we were getting good Frank Howard, but then you flip the switch. I think it started around the Maryland game where he started giving the ball away a lot more. Yes, he's amongst the best in assists, but it doesn't matter if you're giving the ball right back to the other team and you're getting transition buckets on the other end because Syracuse can't set up its 2-3 zone. That's the calling card. You, you need Frank Howard to be great. You can't have bad Frank anymore. You need good Frank, or otherwise I think you have to start looking at giving Howard Washington a shot because Howard Washington... He, he's been given a short leash out there, and I think that's why Frank Howard's been logging so many minutes. But I think Washington's shown a lot of potential, and, and I think he needs to be given a bigger shot. So we'll see that. And The next one is the debate between Dolajai and Moyer. Who's going to start at, at, at the forward for Syracuse? It, it's, a, it's an interesting one because Moyer's got the bulk, the build, that you want out of an ACC player, when you see a good Matthew Moyer on the floor, I'm taking that over a good Mark Dolezal. And that's no knock against Dolezal. He's been excellent. I mean, he's exceeded everyone's expectations. I think that you got to you got to kind of use this to your advantage if you're Jim Beheim. Moyer needs to start every game because he knows that if he doesn't perform, there's a more than capable backup right behind him in Mark Dolezal that can come off the bench give great energy, dive on the ball. He's been a great rebounder for Syracuse. I think that's been the most underrated part of his game so far is his ability. I mean, he looks like he's got more than two arms out there when he's going up for a ball. He is so long, and he can pull that ball down. I I, I mean, you can't say much more about him. Dolezal's been the, the biggest surprise. Brissett's been great. Dolezal's been the biggest surprise out of that freshman class so far. And I think you need Moyer to kind of be pushed by Dolezal because if he doesn't perform, then Syracuse is going to struggle. You need Matthew Moyer to kind of guide you into that next level. And I think Moyer is going to have a little more success because he can bang bodies more in the ACC as opposed to the non-conference. So we'll see with that. Next up, Burama Sidibe's health. This is a huge question mark, of course, because is he going to medically redshirt or 
is he going to kind of test that knee and ankle? There is no signs that that injury is getting any better. I don't think it is going to get better. I think, and, th and this is where you miss Geno Thorpe, honestly, because Syracuse hasn't been terrible going small, although once you get to the ACC play and you're going against the Bagleys of the world, the Bonzi Colsons of the world, and yes, Colson's not big, but he plays big, you're going to be at a real height disadvantage when you don't have Pascal Chuku or Barama Sidibe out on the floor and you have to roll with Mark Dolajai or Matthew Moyer or o even O'Shea Brissett at the five. That, that's a huge disadvantage for you. And I think that the human in me says Barama Sidibe needs to be shut down right now. You need to have his knee and ankle right and ready for next year because next year is going to be the year that you're going to make the big push. But at, at, when you look at what Syracuse needs this year, they need bodies. This is where you're missing Geno Thorpe so much. You're missing Geno because you need just that extra body. I think if you still had that eighth guy, you're shutting down Brahma Sidibe for the rest of the season. But you don't have that eighth guy. You can't roll with seven guys for the rest of the year. You can't. It's tough. And these guys are already beat up and bruised, and you're logging so many minutes, and it's only non-conference play. That that's a huge struggle moving forward, and you're going to have to find a way around that. So I I don't have an answer for you on Barama Sidibe. It's going to be a tough decision for Jim Beheim, and it's going to be one that he has to make relatively quickly. So we'll see about that. And then the last one, uh, kind of already touched on it, but and it, and it ties in with Barama Sidibe. The depth and the minutes distribution, I mentioned Battle, Brissett, Howard, all 1, 2, and 3, respectively, in the ACC in minutes so far. And I only see that trend continuing. These three are going to be the ones that finish at the, at the mountaintop in, in minutes played because there are simply no other options at this point. Are we going to see Howard Washington get a little more time? I think he should, but who knows? It, it doesn't seem like... He, he's shown the flashes. It's now, can he piece together it? piece it together consistently. It's kind of like with Frank Howard, what we saw out of him his freshman year. Frank Howard showed flash that he could be really good. He could be a great passer. He could be awesome out there on the floor. He's long defensively. He's everything you want at the top of the zone. But he'll make that one mistake. He'll take the one bad shot that'll get him the hook, and then he's on the bench for the rest of the game. You don't see him for the remainder. Is that going to be Howard Washington's role? I don't think it can be. I think he has to be getting... 15 to 20 minutes a night a to get him confidence and b because you need guys to play out there howard washington is your seventh guy and you're treating him like the 11th you need him out there on the floor and, and there's really no other options at this point unless you want to start giving walk on some tryouts out there so we'll see that that's it's going to be an interesting acc play and it all starts tomorrow syracuse and virginia tech be sure to follow us at Orange Fizz on Twitter, and also find us on orangefizz.net for full preview and analysis of that game as it happens. We'll have that all for you there on our website and on our Twitter account, so be sure to check us out. All right, coming up, we've got our five up and five down, the best and worst stories of the Syracuse sports year as we come to a close here in 2017. You're listening to Fizz Radio on the Score 1260. All right, we're running up against the clock here on Fizz Radio, which is a real shame because I'm really looking forward to this next segment we're about to do. This is Tyler Aki. You're listening to us here on the voice of the Central New York sports fan, the Score 1260. 
I was going to do the five best and worst stories of the Syracuse sports year, but looking at what we've got time-wise, we're only going to do the five best, and we're going to turn this into a podcast later on is what I've decided. So be on the lookout for that. That should come out tomorrow morning. So find us SoundCloud and Twitter, also iTunes, Orange Fizz. We'll have all the information for you there. So let's take a look. The five best moments from this Syracuse from the Syracuse year of 2017. I'll count them down. Five, start at five. My number five is Syracuse's moral victories, and we'll go into more in-depth stuff on the podcast so you can get my full thoughts on all of these. But Syracuse football's moral victories. This is program is clearly headed in the right direction. Yes, four and eight's not pretty, but you got the moral victories, even though some of them came in losses. It took you until the Wake Forest game to lose a game by double digits, and you had the hardest schedule in the country. I, I think that's that's progress right there. So you, you look at that, and, and you move with that. You take that with you. You hang your hat on that. That's good stuff for you. Next up, Syracuse Basketball's National Signing Day. Darius Baisley is your best recruit since Carmelo Anthony. This kid's a stud. And then you couple him. With a guy like Jalen Carey, who is going to be a dynamic point guard for you at a, at a position that Syracuse has really thrived with in the past. And, and SU has been spoiled with point guards over these past, over about the past decade, honestly. Maybe a decade plus, too. So now you get a guy like Jalen Carey coming in. That's awesome. You need a guy like that. So you love that. And then, of course, the big one, Buddy Bayheim coming home, playing for his dad. This has a movie-type finish looking for it. Syracuse is going to win a national title with Buddy Bayheim. It's just too perfect. It can't not happen. All right? Next up, I think this is a game that really gets lost in the fold of Syracuse basketball season. The NC State game. The one where uh, John Gillen hits the crazy shot to, to force overtime and Andrew White goes off for 43. I think that's just a forgotten game. And... and that was a really fun game to watch. Uh, it was on the road. You beat an NC State team with one of the best players in the conference and Dennis Smith, who who's unbelievable. I think that's one of the most underrated games Syracuse played last year. My number two, John Gillen's buzzer beater against Duke. I, I have no words. The, the, you go from about half court, you bank it in, you beat a top 10 team. Unbelievable stuff there. That that was so much fun. I, that is Syracuse and Duke. No one's going to call the rivalry yet. Some people think it is. Duke fans will never call it that. Duke fans don't care. But the way Syracuse plays Duke, you got to get a little ticked off if you're a Blue Devils fan. Because the jabs are starting to come back and forth. You're playing awesome games against each other. And a, a game like that for John Gillen, I think that's awesome. So that checks in as my number two. And then number one, this is too easy chalk right here. Syracuse beating Clemson. It's not even close. Like, this is awesome. You beat the number two team in the nation. First time you've ever beaten a number two team in the nation. Arguably your best win ever. Of course, the, the game against Nebraska w way back in the day when, when the Cornhuskers were ranked number one is probably going to go down as the top moment in, in Syracuse football history. But, I mean, this Clemson win, that's a, that's a close second, if not number one. So arguably the greatest win in SU football history. It happened in 2017 inside the Loud House. That was awesome. That was a fun time. We're going to recap all that stuff and more in the podcast that's going to come out tomorrow. So be on the lookout for that. 
on our SoundCloud, iTunes, Twitter, Orange Fizz. You can find it all there. We'll also post it on orangefizz.net so you can check all that stuff out and more. Coming up on the other side, I'll get your thoughts on what your best moments of 2017 were for Syracuse sports. It's all coming up in Fizz Feedback on the Score 1260. All right, let's wrap up Fizz Radio here. Let's wrap up 2017 for Syracuse. I'm Tyler Rocky with you on Fizz Radio here on the Score 1260. I threw out a simple question, and I got some great responses from you guys out there in Fizzland. What was your favorite Syracuse sports moment of 2017? Simple to the point, but let's get to it. I threw it out on our Twitter at OrangeFizz, so go give us a follow if you want more content like that. I'm just going to go down the line, read what you guys said. I just gave you my five best in the last segment, and if you missed that, you can find a full podcast version coming out tomorrow. But if you want the brief version, this episode of Fizz Radio is on our SoundCloud and iTunes on by searching Orange Fizz. So you can get us all right there. First one from at Frozen Orange Fan. Obviously the Duke win in basketball and Clemson in football, but Justin Knight's cross-country title was special. How about this? I love that Justin Knight's getting some shout-outs here. That guy is a beast amongst boys. Uh, he's unbelievable what he does there in track and cross-country. Uh, he He's a special athlete, and he is one of Syracuse's. I know we don't cover cross-country here at the Fizz, but go go watch Justin Knight compete. He, he's going to be an Olympian. He's going to be a, an awesome runner for this country. So that's great stuff. Be sure to check out what Justin Knight's doing out there on a track or, or, or on the cross-country paths because he's great. Next is from at NH Conditions, beating Georgetown. Here's my hot take from 2017. The Georgetown win w- was not even close to a top moment. That was one of the most boring basketball games I've ever seen. Syracuse beat them sheerly by coaching. Patrick Ewing got grossly outcoached by Jim Beheim. You saw it again against Butler earlier this week where they just collapsed down the stretch. I mean, Georgetown's just not that great of a team, and, and Syracuse was the first to expose them. That was not a top moment, so I'm going to discount you there at NH Conditions. Next one I've got from at rfiles90. First, Cuse shocks Clemson, followed by another Dino Baber speech, which was awesome. Dino, we need more of those from you. Number two, John Gillen beats Duke on the buzzer beater. Another great answer there. And three, uh, again, Justin Knight wins the NCAA cross-country title. That What Justin Knight's doing out there needs more credit, so... Keep doing your thing, Justin. And those are three great answers right there from Ryan Files. From at 365Qs, Gillen buzzer beater, easy. I don't know if that's easy. Uh, the Clemson win is special. That's a program-defining win. So I'm I'm not going to give you all uh, that, that being a chalk answer there from, from you at 365Qs. Uh, at Qs guy Steve, that would be Dungy injuring his foot against Florida State. Oh, wait. The football team's victory over Clemson. Yeah, I'll go with that. Uh, a little bit of sarcasm there, but, I mean, the Dungy, uh, that's going to come up in our podcast of the five worst, so be on the lookout for that. But, yeah, the Clemson win was was special. And I, I love this last answer I'm about to give you right here. That comes from at Christina Cuse. Watching the Orange play with heart. And I, she didn't specify the sport, but it doesn't matter because we saw it in both basketball and in football. Syracuse had the toughest schedule in the country in football. They go out there and play very, very well against its opponents. This was going to be a tough schedule. You knew it. And so, and they, even though it was four and eight, it felt like they outperformed expectations. And then in basketball, so far, this team is all heart. 
that is what's willed them to an an eleven and two start to the con to the non conference slate, and that's going to be what hopefully wills them further uh, come ACC play. So. It's going to be a fun 2018, plenty of stories to look out for, and should be fun to be an SU fan. That's going to do it for us here on Fizz Radio. For all of us here at the Fizz, have a happy new year and a great holiday season. Again, be safe out there tomorrow and have a great 2018. Be sure to listen to all of our content. We'll be with you here on Fizz Radio.